And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. And Corey, this episode is really kind of the, the official start to the year. This is our, uh, our rookie tournament episode. We're going to be joined uh, a little bit later on by Scott Wheeler and by Thomas Drance, uh, who were who at Buffalo and at Penticton. Uh, you were at Vegas. I was in Traverse City. So we're going to try to cover as much of the, of the footprint as possible here from the weekend. There was a couple tournaments we didn't have anyone at. Apologies for that. I know there's some people who wanted some coverage out of Minnesota, and, and I wish we had a little bit more, too. But we are going to cover a ton of teams today, and we're going to start with you in Vegas, where, you know, I don't know if people saw our Whip Around article that we had on, on Tuesday, but you made the point, starting off with, with Anaheim, this is a team that we've been talking on this show, centers. They, they have done really well in the draft of, of acquiring some really impressive, talented young centers. At this tournament, though, it, 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 actually, let's start with one of the centers. Let's start with Leo Carlson, because he is the, probably the, one of the biggest names we're going to talk about today. Um, what did you see from Leo? I thought Leo was was very good. I mean, not really surprisingly for the second overall pick and a guy with his incredible toolkit and and his production versus men last year. You expect him to come into this kind of level and and be very good. We expect him to push for a job in Anaheim to open the season. And while he was very good, and I think that there were some things in his game that I thought were really interesting, particularly with his skating, where there was quite a few moments in the first two games where I thought he was getting by guys uh, with a consistency that I had not seen in prior years. I thought in his third game, though, uh, he was getting caught a little bit more than that in uh, in a way that I hadn't been used to seeing before when it comes to maybe what I saw as maybe more average foot speed in his draft year. So I think if there is some improvement to his skating, that is very interesting. And... And something for me to monitor going to, into, into the main camp there with Anaheim. Cause if, if, if that's no longer an issue, I think that changes the projection and the debate about him versus Adam Fantilli in a significant way. Uh, obviously there's no debate in terms of who will get drafted, but just because those two will get compared for, for, for years to yes. come. Uh, but in terms of how he played, I thought he was really good. Like I said, you know, very noticeable on a consistent basis. Uh, but when I at least heard of how at, like say Fantilli or how Bedard looked at their, Camps. I don't think Carlson rose to that level of like dominance. I didn't think he was like a blow you away, clear best guy there type type of performance. More just very good, uh, which isn't really a criticism of the player. It's just a rookie camp. But like I said, I don't think he was uh, above and beyond like lights out good type of performance. And of course, the the big difference that we have to talk about Leo Carlson versus those two is those guys are already used to playing on North American ice. They're used to the, the pace of the North American game. Completely normal if Leo Carlson does need a week, two weeks, a month to to, to get that uh, to get that down. Right, and, and and with rookie camps, I always I, I try not to. I can't remember how many times I've seen a rookie camp performance and change my evaluation of the player. Uh, I yeah. think we're just looking for guys in terms of. For me, these tournaments are less about player evaluation and gauging how close the player is to being NHL ready. And if I was watching Carlson here, I mean, this, the body looks like an NHL body, and I think he's going to push for Anaheim to make Anaheim's team. Sorry, 
Uh, but I, if I was watching him now, I wouldn't say he's 100% ready to play 82 games. I, I did not see that player in Vegas. Yeah. All right, so on that note then, we'll go back to what I was originally going to start with, and that is the Anaheim defense, because it seems like they were really the story of this tournament. I know you had the, the quote in one of your article from the NHL scouts that you were, you were watching with during the game, that they said that six future NHL defenders in the lineup um, – Obviously, at a rookie tournament, that's going to stand out in, in a big way. Right. Now, they only didn't play all six of those guys in every game. They only played those six uh, legit prospects, that being Pavel Minchikov, Jackson Lacombe, Olin Zellweger, Noah Warren, Tristan Luneau, and Tyson Hines. They played them all in that first game against Vegas, and it was really noticeable. Uh, I think Vegas had like a good couple of first five, ten minutes of the game, and then it was all Anaheim after that uh, because they were dressing Carlson and because of that incredible blue line. And and all those guys kind of are a little bit different. There's, I think, you know, Zellweger is the small but really good skating, high-end skill tech defenseman. Minchikov is more the, you know, if we think of the typical high pick profile, big defenseman, good skater, really skilled. Noah Warren, the big physical shutdown defenseman type. Uh, Luno, a big puck mover, although the skating there is a, is a minor issue. Same thing with Tyson Hines, but he's also big and makes a lot, and makes a lot of plays in his own end. Like I said, so there's a, there's a lot of variety there with those defensemen. And we'll see, I think there's going to be a lot of competition, uh, you know, as soon as this camp, but definitely over the coming years at, at various Anaheim camps for jobs among this pool of players and any maybe future defensemen they may draft. Because even though I think these are all very good players, I still look at that pool and I think I would even want more defensemen if I was Anaheim just because I, I think you want that premier talent or two and uh, and we'll discuss it a lot in the coming weeks and months. But I think uh, there will be opportunities in the upcoming NHL entry draft to get that kind of premier defense talent uh, to go with Michikov, to go with Zellweger and to, and to go frank, frankly with Jamie Drysdale who I will be very interested to see how he performs this upcoming season hopefully with a, with a clean uh, slay of health. You talked about the value being in maybe how close are some of these guys. Minchikov, is he the, the best chance to maybe crack the lineup this year in Anaheim or, or is that just kind of none of them likely to? I think he has a very good chance because of his size and the skating, but I, I didn't see a guy who was clearly above the rest there. Like, I think he's in the mix. I think Zellweger's in the mix. I think Jackson Lacombe is in the mix. Uh, but I don't think any of those guys, from what I saw, looked clearly better than the rest of them in terms of how close they were to playing in Anaheim. Yeah. All right. Uh, I want to ask you about Arizona, too. And there's a few. I mean, obviously, Arizona's been drafting really high up for a while now. Of course, we're going to have a few names to talk about there. Um, but I want to start with Josh Doan because he's one of the players you you pulled out and, and made a point of in, in the article. And I know you said he was excellent throughout the week. Right. Led them in goals and points. Uh, very noticeable throughout the three games, whereas like Connor Geeky, I thought was really noticeable in the third game, but maybe not as much in the first game or two, even though I think he was still good. Uh, but Doan, I thought was very consistent uh, throughout the event uh, with both his skill and 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 the offensive touch. But I thought his competitiveness really stood out too. He was winning a lot of battles. He was around the puck a lot. Uh, I think the issue with him is always going to be on skating and. Uh, especially as an older player, I don't think you want to get too excited about it because because of those skating concerns, I think he still needs to prove it against men. You know, I, I'm not sure if he'll make Arizona out of camp. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. We'll see. But presuming he goes back to the American League to start the year, I think he needs to show that he can actually play this way consistently versus men, not be like a half point per game guy like he was when he turned pro last year. But very positive signs for Doan. I saw a guy who looked like maybe a potential bottom six NHL forward, maybe even better at that camp. And now we'll see if he carries it through into main camp. That's a nice development for the Coyotes. And geeky for you, I mean, still a little little bit further away? Yeah, but I still think uh, at least that that final game he played, uh, I thought was his some of the better better hockey I've seen from Geeky, who, who can be a little inconsistent. You kind of see in his stat line in, in, in Winnipeg over the last two years, but he's six foot three, six four center, uh, who is extremely skilled. And there were, you know, at least one or two moments in every game where he made a really high-end skilled play, which for a guy that size, you know, always keeps you really intrigued. And he still put up significant uh, points by the end of the tournament. Uh, this is a guy who I think is going to, you know, looks like he should be one of the better players in the Western Hockey League next year. Has a very good chance to be a top two line center for Canada Little Juniors. 
and I still think looks like a very good prospect. I, I like how Geeky can fit into an organization that has Logan Cooley and Barrett Hayden. Yeah. So if you were telling me that Geeky has to be the second-line center on a team that's trying to contend, I'd be like, maybe he can do that. Maybe. Not a guarantee. But if he told me, I think he can be the third-line center on a team that's trying to contend, I'm like, yeah, you know, he fits in really well in, in that organization. Because I think Hayden can be a really nice two. And I think, you know, obviously you're hoping that Cooley can be that legit one. Yeah. If I was a Coyotes fan, the, the thing I would have been really excited about coming out of this this article was you hyping up Maverick Lamoureux, who is kind of the six seven physical presence that they need. And and while the offense has been the question, it sounds like you think he held his own in, in that regard. Yeah, I didn't have any issue with his puck moving at that tournament. I mean, and and, and the, you, know, you look up his stats in the previous years, and you'll see that offense is not really his calling card. He's, he doesn't really score that much in at the junior level, and a couple of games in a prospect tournament is not really going to change. Uh, his history or the fact that it, when I've watched him over a long period of time, I haven't seen a whole lot of puck moving in his game. Uh, like I said, I thought at this level he showed really well. He was on their power play, and I thought he, you know, he was able to make the occasional play or two and, and, and held his own in that regard. But then you add the fact that he's six 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 seven, skates quite well for a guy that size, is really physical. You know, there's other I, – I watch him and I think, okay – if he hits, like he could be like a Jamie Alexiak type. Like this yeah. is a a guy who I think you know I've always kind of thought maybe he's, he's you know maybe a nice little third pair defenseman five six. Now I'm watching like oh maybe it's not a five six maybe it's a four five, and it may not seem like a big deal. But when you're trying to build an organization and you have Dmitry Sinashev, you have JJ Moser, now you're like okay maybe there's we have the third guy now in this top four that we can kind of plug in here, and maybe it is him, maybe it isn't. But I I'm more open to that debate now than I was a week ago. Yeah. A few of the, the biggest names at this event only really played one game, but Logan Cooley, Dylan Genther, we could lump William Eklund from San Jose into this conversation. Uh, these these top guys, what did you see from them? Yeah, they they had Cooley and Genther in the first game before they actually brought him to main camp because they're, they're doing that uh, those games in, in Australia, and I think they, they need to get him out of there as quickly as possible. Uh, Cooley looked outstanding in the, in the first period he played against Colorado. Uh, like he was just dominant and probably the, the best little short stint of hockey I saw at, at that tournament. His second half of that game, he wasn't quite as noticeable. But, you know, when you see the things that he can do with his skating, his skills compete, he stands out. Uh, and, you know, we'll see as a 19-year-old how consistent he can be doing that kind of stuff uh, through the main camp and into the NHL season. But uh, he definitely stood out in a, in, a, in a good way. William Eklund stood out in a good way. I thought in the first game he played with San Jose, uh, for the same kind of reasons, he's an excellent skater. He's uh, high energy. He has a lot of skill. But this is a big year for William Eklund. Uh, you know, this is a guy who's a top ten pick. Uh, I thought was after a so-so year in Sweden two seasons ago. I thought last year in the American League he was very good. Uh, but then, but now, especially as a small wing, uh, they need him to elevate. They need him to look like a legit top six four, not a guy who looks like just like a pretty good, not amazing prospect. Um, so th- uh, I'm really anxious to see how he performs this preseason. Yeah, absolutely. A- anyone else you want to hit from, from Vegas before we, we jump over to, uh, to Traverse city? Uh, I think with Anaheim, one guy I thought that was really interesting was the play of Colson Petrie, who was, uh, I think a high third round pick, uh, by Anaheim, uh, this past summer. And for a guy who was eight, who was an 18 year old, I thought he stood out, uh, rather consistently with his skating, uh, with his skill, I thought the effort level looked a lot better than what I've seen of his previously. Uh, so he was, I thought, a, a bright uh, note for Anaheim, especially given all the other names we were watching, that he was consistently, I thought, uh, grabbing my attention. Yeah. Well, you teased it earlier when we were talking about Leo Carlson. I, you know, I was at Traverse City, and, and I, I wasn't there for the entire thing. I saw uh, three games live of the six, and then I was able to watch two on YouTube later. They, uh, I didn't watch the the final Columbus-Dallas game because Columbus sat all their big guys. And they did that because of how, I think, how good they were at the beginning. And Adam Fantilli is a huge part of that. I thought he was the, the standout player at the tournament. But really, there were four or five guys for them who I thought were really impressive. Um, and it was the guys you wanted it to be, right? I thought Denton Matejchuk was was really good. And I thought he was really good at this event last year. Um, David Yurchek, I liked more than I had liked at this event a year ago. I thought you saw the skill, um, and, and at his size, it just pops so much. Um, and, and Jordan Dumay, I think, actually led the tournament in scoring, though I have to say Fantilli was the guy. Uh, they, they were on a line together a, a decent amount, and, and he was the guy catching my attention. Just so complete. I mean, it was, it was what you wanted to see from him. You saw the high skill. You saw awesome tempo. And what I was really most impressed with was he picked off a ton of passes and, and turned him into chances. 
those are the things where you start to talk about, okay, this guy looks like I expect him to be in, in the NHL on opening night. Yeah, and it'll be really I think we all fully expect him to be a blue jacket to start the season. And I think the question with Fantilli is not just is he gonna help them, it's how much is he gonna help them this season. Yes, that's right. And and you don't know. I mean, with with the, with the rookie center, you can look really good at this event and and still find that hey, it's a lot harder when 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 uh, the, uh, the other we, guys we, in the eggs are. Yeah. We were both there when Capocacco dominated that tournament. It's uh, it, it's a big jump from there, but I think he's different a little bit just because of the skating and the and the physicality and and I, I think it's going to translate rather seamlessly. But but we'll see over the coming months how he performs. Uh, you mentioned Jordan Dumay. What did you think of Dumay when you've watched him? Because that's a guy, uh, from what I've seen and talking to scouts around the league, that there is not a whole lot of consensus on where this guy fits as an NHL prospect. Uh, we all see the scoring, and it seems like he continued the scoring. So it, it, this is a guy who obviously has been an outstanding junior player. But he's not that big, and at least from my viewings, I wouldn't describe him as super fast. So it's like, what do you, from what you saw, did you – Think you saw an NHL player when you were watching him live? I think it's possible, but I, I I get where you're going with that, and I think it's valid because I don't think what you when, what you see when you watch him screams you got to get this guy in a top six. And when you don't have that, uh, I'm not sure that he has a well rounded enough game to say, well, you got to find a place to put him in your top nine, right? Like it, I, I covered Detroit uh, a lot, so Jonathan Bergeron is a player who ha- has a lot of offense in his game, but if he's not in the top six, he can sometimes get lost in those other roles and. Um, Dumay maybe not even as quick as Bergeron, right? So um, there, I think there is still a question there. I'm not, I'm not ready to call him one of the slam dunk prospects here. But when you leave the tournament in scoring, I think I got to give you your, your props a little bit there. And as you know, that's that's not a not the first time here for him. Um, and I, I think you know the, the point totals can always be a little um, deceiving in that regard. You never know. They, they did a ton of damage on the power play. Even Matejchuk, who was the the highest uh, assist, the assist leader for the tournament. I think he did a ton of that damage on the power play. But when you look at Denton Matejchuk, you look at him and say, he can do a lot of damage on the power play in the NHL. Dumais, I think it is still a little bit more of a, of a wait and see. That's fair. I guess I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be so much debate on over the, over the coming year or two. Especially if you, you know, given what he did in the queue last year, I expect he's going to light up the queue again this coming year. He's going to go to the World Junior Camp again, and we'll see whether he makes the team or not. I presume he'll be in the mix I wouldn't call him a lock, but I think he's got a really strong case to make Canada's World Junior team, and and then we'll kind of see how his game translates to the pros. You know, you look at Bobby Brink last year in the American League, and it was he just was just fine, and I think that's the concern with that player type. Yeah, absolutely. Hunter McCown, another guy I want to just kind of quick mention. I thought there were some nice elements there. Didn't notice him as much as obviously like a Fantillier, but I, I thought that was a player who I left with a pretty positive impression of. Um, on the Columbus side, one guy for Dallas that I, I wanted to bring up, Corey, and he only played one game, um, is Leon Bischel. And Bischel is obviously huge. He moves well. He's mean. But I can't – the the best way I can describe it is that in the third period of that game, the entire arena of Detroit fans – it was Dallas and Detroit – were booing Leon Bischel every time he got on the ice. They were so angry at him. And they were mad at him because I think he – one of the Detroit guys had challenged him to a fight and he wouldn't. But that only happens – when you're making a huge physical impact on the game, and he was. So I, I left thinking, like, uh, Leon Bischel is going to be uh, a a menace in the NHL. I, I hate bringing up this name because he's a Detroit, but maybe because you watched him so much because well, he was a Red Wing. Does he remind you of, like, a, of a Cronwall type of player at all? I could see that, yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, and Bischel's even bigger than Cronwall, right? Like, he looks gigantic every time he's on the ice and, and he uses that. So, um, I, you know, is he, I think he's going to play 20 minutes a night. And so I, you know, but I, I'm just, we were talking about it uh, at, the, at the tournament, me and another writer and it's, uh, you know, Dallas's left side, it's going to be pretty formidable when you talk about Haskin and, and Harley. So. Yeah. I, mean, I think Harley's trending very well too. And, and I, and they need those guys because they haven't had a ton of picks. They've made the high picks. They haven't had a ton of overall picks though. So I mean that they're trending well, still that being, Harley, that being Bischel, is very positive for Dallas, especially we consider how young and productive their core players are right now. Yeah, I, I did want to see a little more offense from Logan Stankovin this week, and he ended up with a couple points in, in the final game. Um, I, I think, though, that's the that's the game that Columbus sat everybody, and so I have a lot, little bit of a hard time um, making too much of that. But I, I saw some, you know, some good defensive elements. I think he, he's playing center, and I think that's something you – 
with him, you're not sure, is he a center? And I think he, he did show some, he's got the hockey sense, he's got the skating, he's got the poise. So those are all good things. Might have wanted to see him light up the scoreboard a little more. He did hit a, hit a post or a crossbar at 1.2 in a game I was watching, but might have wanted to see a little little more there. Uh, Danielson and Casper? Yeah, I, I thought Danielson um, was one of the standouts for me for Detroit. I I think, you know, Detroit lost all three games. So I don't know if this was a tournament <laughs> for them to really remember, right? But uh, Elmer Soderblom was it, their it, best it, player. It, it. It feels like fans are more pointing the fingers at the goalie for that than the play of the skaters. Right uh, and, now. and and I don't think that's unfair, but I think everyone's got a part in it. There were a ton of turnovers that, especially in the first game, I think every Detroit goal was off a turnover, um, and including some by their big players. One of them might have even been Danielson. Yes, one of them was Danielson. So, um, but in that first game, that was one of only a couple mistakes I saw Danielson make. I thought he played a really smart game. He ends the tournament with five assists in two games. So. For those crying about offense on draft day, I thought that was a pretty nice opening statement for, for Danielson, even if some of it comes uh, on the power play. Casper um, didn't create as much offensively, but there were definitely stretches where he was a hound all over the puck, the, the tenacity that you want to see. I don't think it answered questions about offense, so that that's still lingering, but I, it didn't raise any red flags for me personally either. But I, I thought Danielson, um, to me, was the more impressive. Um, but Casper, obviously, you know, he, he's played a little more he's played more pro hockey so you, you do expect to see some of those elements that you did see from him i think it'll be an interesting thing with detroit going forward especially after they acquire jt carfer who i who i like a lot who i think still has a lot of runway left in his game and could be a red wing for quite a few years going forward um i'll be interested to see what happens when daniels and casper start pushing because i wonder if you had to guess from what you've seen which one of those two is better suited for the wink uh, Casper would be, but I also think you could flex Andrew Kopp to the wing if you wanted to, too, especially as he gets into his thirties. Uh, Comfort has played the wing. He he could do yeah. that. Um, so it's, it, it's kind of nice because it lines up. You got the, the, the two and three C right now expect to be Kopp and Comfort, a lefty and a righty. And the two and three C's of the future, you expect to be Casper and Danielson, a lefty and a righty. You could presumably just yeah. transition them in on the wing and move a guy over or, yeah. or fiddle how you want. But to answer your question, Casper would. Yeah, that's how I lean too. I could see a really nice uh, setup where you might have Casper on the wing of Danielson in five years from now. Yeah, it's very possible. And I think he brings the the mean elements while still having the offense. He's really fast. He could complement a skill player. Casper on Lucas Raymond's wing would be money. That would be a great uh, dynamic for them. So, um, But, you know, I, I think you have to keep it all in context. Detroit was 0-3. I don't think you could say any of them were great. I didn't list any of them as tournament standouts, but I thought – uh, those two were good and their best player was Elmer Soderblom. But as I'll talk about with Thomas Drance a little later on from the Penticton tournament, you do expect the guys who have been here before who are a little older to be better. Like I thought Elmer was really good. Sure. And if he wasn't, it would have been a story, but because he was, I don't think it's, it's too notable. And I mentioned that in the, in the dome segment, which is why I thought the play of Lamaru, who was 19 and standing out was no, notable in that regard. When when a teenager comes in and could be a top player there, like Batechuk did, like obviously like Adam Fantilli did, that's when I think you you are much more interested in terms of their proximity to the NHL roster. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think Matejuk's not knocking on the door personally, just from my, my guess there. Sure. I think I well, still, especially still on the same team that has David Yurichek too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But the puck moving smaller D can stand out a little more at a chaotic tournament like this, right? I, we do have to keep that in context. And I think Svozil is going to be pushing for games pretty soon, too. There's competition, and especially on a team that's uh, recently acquired veteran defensemen and uh, uh, extremely recently, ownership has said they expect significant progress from. So, yeah, I don't think there will be a 19-year-old defenseman on that team. Yeah, that's right. But um, I, I thought Columbus was far and away the most impressive. I did want to get really quickly to Toronto. Easton Cowan was a guy we talked about after the draft. Maybe a little bit of a surprise first-rounder. Um, after this weekend, I'm not surprised. I thought he was really good. I thought he had exactly what I wanted to see from him. He was hard, but he also had offense, um, you know, made good passes. He, he was able to get to, to free space, the right space to finish some plays, uh, breakaway or two, if I remember correctly, I can clearly recall at least one. Um, I, he kind of looks a little awkward sometimes, but he's, he's, he is quick. Like he's not slow. Yeah. There's a little hunch, but it works. Yeah, I think he's a good scare. The question with me, like, I agree. I think he's really smart. I think he's really competitive. The question I've had on Easton is, as a, you know, say, uh, I think he's measured in at barely 5'11", uh, going into his draft. And I wouldn't say the offense is dynamic. So it's like, what's the projection here? And the people who love him would say Sorelli. Um, 
So I guess from what you've seen and you had very positive impressions, what do you think would be the, the projection there for Cowan in the NHL? It's a good question. I I almost want to say like Pavelski, but that's a little high, right? Like yeah, it, yeah Pavelski is a lot of offense. Yeah, no, but so it's it. I just think when you have a guy who's that smart and that competitive, I, it surprises me that you say five eleven. I would have thought he was for sure six foot. Watching him again, people, people, people might grow for all, but I'm just telling you what he yeah. measured in at going into the draft. Those, those, I usually use those measurements unless I watch a guy. I'm like, okay, you're clearly not this anymore, uh, just because that people fudge those things all the time. Yeah, no, but I, I, I buy it is basically the, the, what I'm trying to say here. I, 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 my question is, is he a winger, a center? I think he, you know, the skating, the brain, the compete, like those are all good things you want to see, but I might like much like a Casper who has all those exact same traits. Um, I, I think Casper won notch higher, but you know, I thought Cowan was probably better at this tournament. So, um, you can make those same arguments that we just talked about with Marco Casper for Easton Cowan. I didn't mind Fraser Minton either. And I thought uh, Roni Hervonen had a lot. He's a really smart player. I don't. He's the one where the, with the size and skating, you're just not 100% positive what it would look like in the NHL. But I thought right. here he, he operated really smoothly. Yeah, I tend to agree about. I tend to agree on Hervonen. I mean, it's the same kind of issues Toronto has dealt with with Nikabrzezi. It's like where does he fit in an NHL lineup given those limitations? The offense as a pro has to be, I think, so significant. Otherwise, especially on a good team like Toronto is, there's just nowhere to put him. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, he, he might end up just being a good AHL or kind of a depth player in the NHL, but he was good here. And Mitten, you know, the, the skating with Mitten, I think, does make him a potential. I don't know that he's top six, but I think he, useful NHL player for sure. That's kind of what I think too, like third line wing, fourth line center. That's kind of what I envision him as, like a two way all around player. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I was at. And I, I thought, you know, it, my, the bummer here, Corey, and we're going to, we're talking about all these different tournaments today. Is that as as they've proliferated, you just get so much fewer of these teams in one place. The first Traverse City tournament I went to was eight teams, and we're just walking back and forth between two sheets of ice all day. I, I, I used to love the Traverse City tournament. It, it was like a like a gigantic hockey conference because you'd have all you know, like you said, the eight teams, the chaos of the games going on, uh, uh, two games at once, and there'd be so many hockey people who would go to that tournament. Uh, because of you know we have so many scouts from other teams, you have like you know teams typically uh, for these tournaments, and they still do. Uh, will we'll send their entire hockey up staff to these things. So uh, you know you I you would see like general managers and assistant general managers, you know, basically just sitting in the stands with your with your, with your typical fans. It was a very unique environment, and it's unfortunate. And I understand why there's a financial component getting to Traverse City is not easy for some of those teams that are not located in the Midwest. And uh, they want to have them closer to home. So I understand that. It's just, uh, it is unfortunate that that the Traverse City, what I thought was a very special event, is still an event, but it's lost a little bit of its luster. And like the the allure of the quote unquote winning the, cha- the Traverse City Prospect Championship. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it used to be, you know, you'd walk across and you had to almost just like go up to a scout and be like, hey, how's this guy looking? Because you missed the first half of that game, maybe, or the first half of that period because you were on the other sheet. And there was like a little bit of a competition with teams. They wanted, they had the banners raising when they won those things. Like it was, there was like, uh, there was actually a playoff round to it, which no yes. longer exists anymore. Uh, so that's unfortunate. No, I know it's it's a bummer, but uh, still a good event. And, and, and we'll talk about another one coming up here uh, with Scott Wheeler at right after this break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
All right, we are back with the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. We are joined now by Scott Wheeler, who spent the week at what is now, I think, the biggest tournament. Is Buffalo the biggest tournament now, Scott? I think there are two six-team tournaments. Uh, them and what was Corey's tournament in Vegas? Not six teams. Or Corey was, it? was at Vegas. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, six teams in Buffalo now, though. One of the biggest tournaments, certainly some of the teams that have been drafting the highest recently, and and that obviously starts with the host, the Buffalo Sabres. We're going to get to them in a second, but I want to start just Matthew Savoy, one of your tournament standouts when we did our our standouts article this week. Um, But I know you mentioned in there that he sustained a shoulder injury. Is there any update on, on that? How serious do we think that is? Yeah, it it looked on the ice. It looked troublesome. This was the first shift of the game in the third and final game of yesterday, and really the finale of the tournament. So, really had an opportunity to leave a, a sour note on Matt Savoy's season. Potentially, shoulder injuries can be a six month thing, as we know. Um, and he he dealt with one in his draft year. He actually played through a pretty serious shoulder injury in your in his draft year. And anytime you have two shoulder injuries, especially if it's the same shoulder, obviously, then you immediately start to have conversations about about surgery, right? So uh, that was the initial worry. He fell to the ice driving the net on the first shift of the game. It was about 10, 15 seconds in. Uh, sort of, it looked like his shoulder was hanging out of the socket as he skated off. It was one of those sort of obvious injuries. It was clearly his shoulder that was bothering him. Uh, but then the prognosis from Seth Appert uh, post game was that they they're just kind of expecting him to miss a little bit of time, and they're hoping that even by potentially by the end of training camp that he might still be able to factor into training camp, which. Uh, it sounds like extremely positive news, all told, because he didn't return. He skated straight down the tunnel, uh, and it was just one of those things where it was like, oh, no, here's this kid who had a real opportunity, especially after Jack Quinn's injury while training this summer. With the absence of Jack Quinn for a good chunk of this season with the Sabres, it looked like there was really a race between Yuri Coolidge and, and Matt Savoy for sort of a nine-game, ten-game audition to start the year in Buffalo. And now, uh, if if Savoy's out for the most for most of training camp, maybe it's Yuri's Yuri's spot to to lose, if you will. So, uh, an interesting layer for for Matt Savoy. I I was almost I was speaking with Matt Fairburn, our Sabres writer, obviously uh, there this week, and we were both sort of expecting that Savoy was at least going to start in Buffalo and play a few games, and then maybe he goes back to the Wenatchee Wild and and plays in WHL and goes to the World Juniors with Team Canada and all of that. But now. If you're not involved in training camp or if you're getting there late in training camp and you're a 19-year-old kid who's coming off an injury, maybe it's just straight back to Wenatchee and and that's the way that his season played out. So it could still be a bit of a bummer for Matt in terms of just what he had in front of him, but uh, all, by all accounts, a pretty positive uh, prognosis though. Yeah, it sounds like honestly like better than it than uh, better than feared. So that's that's the good news. Let's talk about the rest of the Sabres here. Uh, they've made a ton of high picks and, and two of the guys I want to ask you about are Zach Benson and, and Isaac Rosen. Um, two of the kind of small skilled quick players that, that Buffalo has, uh, has certainly made a habit of, of stocking up on. Yeah. And, and just Buffalo on the whole, were pretty clearly the most talented team. When you looked at the six rosters and looked at them on paper, it was like, okay, holy moly, they've got Rosane, they've got Kulik, they've got obviously Matt Savoy, Zach Benson, who you mentioned, uh, it was a it was a talented group. I thought and Novikov, their defenseman out of Russia, who's yeah. 21 years old and has already played two full seasons in the KHL, six foot four defenseman who's coming over to play for their AHL team this year, was tremendous. Maybe the best defenseman in the tournament. Uh, so a lot to like there. But just specifically uh, on Rosane and, and Benson, uh, uh, Isak in their first two games was was the best player on the ice, um, and he. Looked like a better player than Kulik, looked like a better, maybe a better player than Matt Savoy, who I thought was tremendous in those first two games. Uh, he was he was dynamic on the puck. He was making plays. He was creating sort of shift to shift. Uh, he looked like a player who was knocking on the door. And it was funny to hear, hear Seth in some of his comments throughout the week as well. So pretty plainly that he thought that Yuri Kulik and, and Isaac Rosane were were right there to, to compete for roster spots at this point with Buffalo. So uh, a really positive development for Rosane, who's had a bit of an up and down time, kind of that classic streaky, smaller scoring winger type. Uh, but when the puck starts to go in for him, the talent is is pretty clear. And then Benson, as an 18 year old, sometimes 18 year olds can struggle in this thing, uh, just playing against those sort of 22, 23, 24 year olds, especially a team like Boston in this tournament. Boston was made up of a bunch of AHL guys because they don't have much by way of young prospects. Uh, so to see his sort of Benson go out and perform 
He played in all three of their games, which isn't all that common for, for top, top prospects, but I think they wanted to see what they had there. And I thought in all three, he was good and one of their sort of better playmakers and sort of on the puck all the time. And him and him and Savoy both are just so, such hard workers, such driven players that you notice them even when they're not creating offensively because they're winning back pucks and making plays and getting after it on the four check and tracking back to lift pucks off of guys on steals and, that, and all of that. So Benson's another one. He's going to be on the world junior team for Canada. He's going to be a big, big sort of contender at least for, for this, the scoring uh, top scorer award in, in the CHL this year, I think. Uh, and, and he looked like he looked like a kid who was drafted 13th overall. Like he kind of looked exactly like you'd hope he would as an 18 year old. So even more exciting young talent on the way uh, for the Sabres, who, who already have plenty of it. Let's stay in the Atlantic. <laughs> yeah. And I know, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, Josh Waugh was one of your standouts from from Montreal. And that's another team that I, I think had a few guys that you really liked at this event. Yeah, I think of their forwards, he was the sort of the clear driver. They had a really talented team as well, probably second to Buffalo in terms of just pure talent on the roster. They had uh, sort of established guys like Jan Misak, who've been a part of this tournament a couple of times. They had first rounders like Philip Nashar. They had uh, uh, players who uh, like like a Sean Farrell, who was one of the top scorers at Harvard in, in NCAA hockey last season. Uh, Owen Beck, obviously, who played an NHL game last year and had a had a big breakout year in the OHL. Uh, and it, even amongst that group, it felt like everybody had their best game when they were playing with Josh Waugh. Like he played one game with Sean Farrell. He played two games with Owen Beck. He played one game with Jan Mishak. And it seemed like those guys were scoring and those guys were getting their looks when they were playing with Josh Waugh. And he was a big part of just creating a ton of offense. I think he finished with four or five primary points in three games uh, and was just a driver. Uh, and and the big thing with, with Waugh, is that for a long time, he was viewed as kind of this one-dimensional player. He was the first overall pick into the QMJHL. He was a star prospect in minor hockey on a Chevalier team, AAA team that went undefeated. and had like a 40-game, almost a 40-game win streak in AAA hockey in Quebec, which is unheard of. Uh, and then he had a bit of a tough time in St. John, requested a trade out of his QMJHL team in his draft year was a fifth round pick instead of a kind of first or second round pick. And then obviously since then has been at two world juniors has put up two 100 point seasons in the QMJHL and now legitimately on the ice looks like a kind of first round talent uh, and, and has rounded out his game is no longer the player he used to be. They were he penalty kills on all of the teams that he plays on now, whether it's in the QMJHL hockey Canada this week for Montreal, effective penalty killer, tracking back, supporting his line mates, just dialed in in terms of the little details, which is a long, long way from where he was. So uh, Wall looks, he looks like a, a, a sort of found gem at this point. Like he looks like he's going to be an NHL player. And for a fifth round pick, that's obviously huge, huge value. So I thought that was impressive. And then their, their D were a talking point throughout the week. Yeah. William Trudeau has emerged as a huge success story for them. A kid who sort of came out of nowhere in the QMJHL they drafted him on a hope and a prayer that he was just a strong, sturdy kid who played the game efficiently, had a really solid HL season last year, was the captain of their team this week in, uh, in Buffalo. And Trudeau is another kid where just a, a mid to late round pick who suddenly looks like he's going to get NHL games at some point in the next year or two. And and that's another player that just job well done. They, they, they've, have, they've got some questions about some of their first rounders, a guy like Philip Nashar, uh, for example. Um, who, who may not pan out, but certainly they've done a really good job sort of, and that's without getting into Lane Hudson and, and those types who weren't even participating this week, but they've done a good job finding uh, sort of deeper value. And Trudeau was another one that I just wanted to sort of draw a little bit of attention to. Yeah. Mayu is an interesting one for Montreal for me, because obviously there, there's a lot of context here, but it, it seems mm-hmm. like he has elevated into a tier where, you know, he's becoming a player we're going to have to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, no question. And this week was I was kind of uh, chuckling with with Arpin when I ran into him at the rink this week because it was kind of the tale of Logan Mayu. Logan Mayu, the, the conversation around Logan Mayu and his game now, uh, strictly the on ice piece of the puzzle is that here's this kid who you you see him at the rink, you run into him like he is a, a an athlete, yeah. a tremendous athlete, like a really tall, stocky, strong, sturdy kid. And then on top of that, you see it on the ice. He's a great skater for his size. He commands the ice physically in terms of box outs, battles in front of the net, corners, stepping up in neutral ice to, to separate man from puck, all of those sort of 
elements to his game are, are strong. He can really skate the puck. He's got a cannon from the point. So all of those things get people really excited about what they might have there. And then there's the decision-making and the read elements of his game that remains a, a, a red flag. So yep. they're going to have to sort of work through that with him. I think they're hoping that just with a season or two in the AHL and some reps and good coaching and a proper development plan that he can sort of figure out the IQ piece. There are still times where he goes back and gets pucks and has no idea what to do with it. And he waits too long to outlet it. And then he's sort of sending a pass up through neutral ice that gets intercepted and picked off. And there are times where he doesn't know in front of the net, whether he should be in front of the net or chasing the guy in the corner. And just a lot of sort of decision-making errors where he gets caught and he gets beat. Um, but the, the the natural gifts are, are sort of clear NHL qualities. So uh, they're just going to have to work with him. And some guys never figure out, I mean, how many NHL players have we seen that have NHL talent that just struggle to figure it out? Like I'm just being from Toronto. We we dealt with it here with Kasperi Kapanen, who just took so long despite natural gifts to to sort of figure out what he was in the NHL. And uh, that's a tale as old as time. So for some guys, the, 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 the smarts piece never does come. But if, if, as I was talking to Arpin about, if it can even get to passable, uh, for Logan, then he's probably going to be a very good NHL player. Yeah. Speaking of, of figuring it out, one guy who seems like he's he's there is Ridley Gregg from, from Ottawa. I guess we'll stay in the Atlantic a little longer here. Uh, what what did you see out of him? Yeah, he only played in one of the three games, and I still included him in my standouts just because yeah. he, he, he just looked head and shoulders above the rest of that roster. They had the weakest roster in the tournament by a long shot. I think they had 20 or 21 camp invites. They only had five oh. or six guys attending the event who were actually drafted players. In the third game, they actually ended up sitting all of them. Tyler Boucher, Roby Jarventi, Ridley Gregg, Zach Kostapchuk, Tyler Clevin, like all five of those guys sat. So uh, it was a it was an ECHL hopefuls roster, basically, that they rolled out. And I think because of that, he just... He just stood out uh, so strongly in that first game. He had two goals. He was only credited for two goals, but I'm looking back at the at the tape and and sort of contrasting it against the score sheet. I'm pretty confident he also had a primary assist from below the goal line. So I think he should have had three points in that game. Uh, he was just on the puck. He was physical. He laid a huge open ice hit. He actually got laid out once himself as well. That's just kind of Ridley's game. He's in the mix in everything. He's a very physical, competitive player. He's always on the puck. And then he's got decent skill, so he makes enough plays uh, to, to sort of complement that package. And he played center, centering their top line with Robbie Arvenki. Um, I thought they were excellent, the two of them together. And he just looked like a kid in this event. There's always three or four kids that just look like, okay, that kid's ready to, to play in the NHL. And obviously, he, I think he had nine points in 20 games last year, so he does have a little bit of yeah. an NHL cup of coffee under his belt. Uh, and now there, there's an opportunity, by the sounds of it, for him to to take a sort of third line role with that team uh, alongside Shane Pinto and sort of become a young, fun third line there for the Sens this year. And I think just based off of what I saw this year or, or this week, he looked he looked like he was right there. Boucher or Clevin do anything for you? Yeah, again, they didn't play in all three games, so yeah. it's hard to get a read on the guys who really only play once or twice. Uh, I, I thought Boucher looked like Boucher. The, the shot is heavy. He's another kid who's extremely physical. Another kid you run into a lot like Mayu around the link, and you think to yourself, holy crap, this kid is an athlete. This kid is the son of an NHLer. He's just he's jacked, and he's advanced that way, and you can see it on the ice. The thing with him is just going to be his – and has always been just his pace and his footwork, and that's something that I keep sort of keyed in on this week. And it, it still looks below average. Like It still looks like it might be a bit of a barrier for him. Uh, but the way, he, the way he works, the way he shoots the puck, the physical – sort of piece of the puzzle that he already has. You just hope at this point, uh, I know they drafted him 10th overall, but at this point you're hoping that he can just become a, a sort of contributing bottom six guy for you. And I still think that Tyler has an opportunity to to do that. And then Clevin, I mean, Clevin's another guy, only played one game. And and the reason why is that he's, he's going to be in the mix for one of the seven jobs on that blue yeah. line, more likely sort of a number seven, eight for them by the looks of it this year. Uh, but sounds like he's going to get some AHL time and some NHL time this season. And, and I think he just looks like a at this point like a very physically advanced, physically mature sort of stay at home type who's going to be a good partner for a, a busier defender. Yeah, and I don't want to short these teams, I guess, but maybe a little less star power. I, I guess I kind of said that about Ottawa too. But um, Pittsburgh, Boston, New Jersey—any any names we should know coming out of those three teams? 
Yeah, I mean, New Jersey, no surprise, but I thought Simon Nemich played well. New Jersey yeah. uh, had a tough goal of it this week. They they were badly outplayed in, I would say, the majority of all three of their games. Uh, Nemich is the is the stud there. Uh, another kid who didn't play in all three games, though. Uh, another kid who just looks like he's he's ready. It'll be interesting to see what happens in camp there, because we know that the organization, in terms of uh, the management group and the coaching staff in New Jersey have have actually talked pretty openly about how they're not sure about two rookie defensemen. And it seems like Luke Hughes is going to have the the sort of leg up there. So it sounds to me, at least, like Simon Nemich probably starts in the AHL. That doesn't mean he doesn't come up if an injury happens and, and stay in the NHL for the remainder of the season. But it does seem like Luke Hughes is the is the guy there in terms of if they're going to have a rookie, it's going to be Luke, especially after the way they played him in the playoffs last year. So. Um, almost a bit of a tough break for Simon because I think on 28, 29 of the 32 NHL teams, he's probably a guy going into camp but the way he played in the second half in the AHL last year, who you're looking at to be one of your top six defensemen. So uh, New Jersey's just in a bit of a unique situation that way. Uh, but I thought Nemich played well for them. Uh, Braden Yeager predictably stood out for a Penguins team that, as we know, doesn't have uh, much by way of prospects. Um, I thought, I thought Jaeger as an 18 year old handled himself really well. He had a point, one point in all three games, which is sort of what you'd hope for out of a player like that. Uh, they spoke very highly of his play off the puck. That's become a defining quality for, for Braden Jaeger. He was known as, as sort of a shooter and a scorer, uh, all the way up and still is and scored a beautiful goal yesterday in their third game, ripping it past Scott Ratzlaff. Um, but it, it, it's the roundedness of Jaeger's game that continues to impress uh, and then Boston was tough. Boston's uh, roster, as I kind of mentioned off the top, is was <laughs> made up of uh, like 25 and 26-year-old AHLers yeah. predominantly. So, uh, And then guys like Fabian Liesel uh, didn't really play all that much. So uh, the, the, the standout there for me was probably Brett Harrison, who was sort of a, a, a very good OHL player all the way up, a top minor hockey prospect, but has had concerns about his skating. Tall kid who can really shoot the puck, has played center and the wing for Oshawa over the last couple of years, and is now turning pro and expected to play uh, for Providence in the AHL. And uh, I think he had four goals in five games and a couple of assists. So anytime you have five or six points in a tournament like this, uh, especially as a player who's just about to turn pro, that's a good start to your training camp and your preseason. And I thought even yesterday, he scored again yesterday. He had a couple of more looks in the third period to, to nearly sort of pull off a bit of an upset for the for the Bruins as well so Harrison was was probably the, the positive if you will for Boston awesome that is great stuff Scott really appreciate you uh, jumping on here today we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back with Thomas Jones and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free you see this a family watching baseball on direct tv with no satellite dish in sight let's heckle them you call that changing the channel choke up on the remote buddy i hope getting all these games on direct tv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds direct tv has the most mlb games visit directtv.com claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher availability of rsn's varies by zip code and package high-speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply as you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We are joined now by Thomas Drance from The Athletic in Vancouver, who has been at the Penticton Rookie Tournament this week. A uh, lot of good teams there to, to talk about here, but I know one of your big standouts that, that we started with uh, in the piece was, was one of this year's picks, and that's Bo Akey. Uh, what did you see from him this week? 
Yeah, and I mean, we'll get into this because there was a pretty significant uh, experience and age imbalance between the the four teams yeah. that went to Penticton. And so while Bo Aiki may not have been the best, quote-unquote, defenseman at the tournament, he was the most impressive. Um, 18-year-old, late second-round pick of the Edmonton Oilers in 2023. Um, he looked really, like, rangy and long. You know, I, I think he's slight still, but looked like a player that, as he grows up, will will have pretty close to prototypical NHL size for that sort of, like, Danny DeKaiser, Chris Tanev style uh, of transitional defensive defenseman. And he certainly looked like he had the intelligence to, to project as that type of guy based on how advanced he was in terms of defending the rush. You know, these rookie tournaments are so chaotic in terms of the on-ice environment, right? Uh, it's not like these guys have ever played together. Some guys have played major junior only. Some guys have played four years of college. Some guys are 27, and you're like, what are they doing here? Um, you don't have, like, super crisp systems play. And there are types of players that can sometimes get lost as a result of how, um, you know, scrambly the hockey itself is. One type of player, though, that I think can pop is the defender who can bring some calm <laughs> amidst sort of that, that storm. And Aiki looked like that. You know, uh, there were a lot of rush chances where with a smart stick or, or good body position, um, he was able to quickly turn the puck over, get it moving the other end, uh, really good on retrievals, sort of played on the power play for the Oilers' prospects and, and often looked like the best part of that power play. Just a bright player, showed a lot of hockey IQ, a lot of some some of the raw skills that you look to in, in terms of projectable ability. And, and, you know, I'd say of the, like, high highest upside prospects on the blue line at that tournament. And there, there's some pretty good ones. No, no real first round picks, but you know, you think about uh, Elias Sol Solomonson from the Winnipeg Jets or Hunter Brustevich from the Canucks, a 2023 third round pick, uh, Etienne Moren, um, Calgary Flames, second round pick in 2023. Like he, he really did shine and stand out above that group. And, and all of them had moments, but uh, Aki you know, I, I sort of come away with the with the sense that he's really a guy that, you know, hockey fans should be, and certainly Oilers fans, but hockey fans in general should be paying attention to in the Ontario League this year. A really sharp kid. I love that point. And you're so right, because it is, it's the, the chaos. These teams have usually practiced one at most two times together. Yeah. And so they, they are going out there and they're trying to cook. They're also trying to impress people. Like it's, it's probably not... Uh, the, the the structured hockey that, that is going to await them at, at the coming mm -hmm. levels. But I, I think it is. You said those poised defensemen. Denton Matejchuk uh, was one of those guys at the Traverse City tournament for me that I was like, when this guy has the puck, things seem to go a little more according to plan than like the rest <laughs> of the game, right? So yeah. I, I love that as a call out. I also love that you brought up the age thing because I, it's something I want to talk with you about. I, one of the, I think you, you had uh, Aiden McDonough, you called him the best, most dangerous player in the tournament in our whip around write up uh, on the athletic on, on Tuesday morning. And I believe you. But my question is he's 23 and I want to know how much should I care that a 23 year old was able to be the best, most dangerous player at this tournament? Yeah. And, and I think more than anything, it's like, you just have to check a box if you're Aiden McDonough in this tournament. You know, the thing that could have happened is he could have come in and not stood out above, you know, your Danila Klimovich, right. um, you know, uh, Atu Ratu, Arshdeep Baines tier of Canucks prospect. And that would have been concerning, right? Uh, with, with a player like McDonough, because you have less developmental runway, right? If he's going to be an NHL player, right? A full-time NHL player, much less an NHL impact player. Like he better be the talk of the town in Vancouver for the next four weeks, right? Like the, the decision to cut him has to come right before Canadian Thanksgiving, like right yeah. before the, the roster deadline hits. Um, you know, he, he better be back in the NHL by January, right? Like that's sort of the, the career progression he's going to need to take if he's going to be a player, because frankly, he's at an age where, I mean, he's the same age as Quinn Hughes. And one thing I often say is like, you know, 
Quinn Hughes is smack in the middle of his statistical prime. And, and I say that because, you know, in my view, we have to stop talking about him as a young player. He's an established vet. He's an NHL captain. That's so, right. you know, so, so for McDonough, I think more than anything, it's that he had to dominate, but he did. And so I still think you get the dap for that. You still get the credit for that. Um, he did, you know, he'll now go into training camp and it's a vital training camp for him feeling damn good about himself. He should feel damn good about himself. Um, his shot played his ability to drive played, uh, the passing, you know, I still think it's going to need a little bit of work in terms of off the rush, but in zone, uh, absolutely can contribute to a productive cycle and, and often did, um, they dominated play with him on the ice and then he absolutely lit up opposition netminders on the power play uh you know he's been a guy i've been a high on anyway uh always been a lot of concerns about his speed and stuff like that but i've always thought he has the athleticism a and he's got the understanding and it's a pretty mature understanding of how to work to find open space and i mean i you know I, i'm sure you're the same way like i've seen a million first round picks play in major junior or in college and it's like, oh, man, they just skate through everyone with the puck, but without it, right? And, and I don't mean without it defensively. I mean without it offensively. Um, you know, the, the understanding of how hard you have to work to get open, the ability to find that space consistently, that, that's something that he's always had when I've seen him in Northwestern or Northeastern in the past uh, that, that stood out, and it, it was absolutely apparent in Penticton. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how about Atu Ratu? Because he's a guy who especially... Uh, for the Canucks, a centerpiece of, of the Bo Horvat trade and a guy that mm. they need to be a, a real prospect. What did he do for you this weekend? Yeah, you know, I, I thought he was, he showed really well, especially with just some really subtle, sharp playmaking ability um, shone through throughout his sort of tournament. With Ratu, you know, the offense, the intelligence, and, and I think some of the defensive stuff was there. And he was one of those players that I was a little worried about going into the tournament because Ratu, you know, can, is not really a one-on-one -on -one type, right? Uh, the one-on-one the -on -one type player is always going to show a little bit better That's right. at, at a prospect tournament like this. I, I see Ratu as a guy who, you know, once he's like up and running, once he's in his, um, you know, a, a fully developed, like once he's at the apex of his, his own powers, you know, I think he's going to be effectively like a really good systems executor. You know, maybe maybe in the middle six, if if he hits sort of the absolute top of his ceiling, um, and I thought that was a player type that might struggle, but he didn't. Like he really, I think it helped that Vancouver had a more experienced team and dominated play so much because they really did have the puck more than most. Uh, a lot of those guys played together uh, down in Abbotsford last year. Uh, you know, one of his line mates, Archdeep Baines, was was his teammate down the stretch and in the playoffs in Abbotsford. So there, there maybe was a little bit more familiarity, um, a little bit more structure for for the Canucks than there there were for many of these prospect tournaments or tournament entry teams, uh, sort of across the continent. Um, but I, look, he played really well. Ultimately, for him though, and the one thing that I didn't get a good enough sense of yet is like his feet are his fate in terms of will he stick in the middle, right? Like his speed. Will his speed play at center at the next level, I think, is the big question. And I don't know that he, like, answered that question yet. He might not answer that question, you know, until April of this season. And clearly the Canucks should be letting him fail at center before considering converting him. But, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's sort of the big question mark that remains for him. But the skill, the, the hockey IQ, the work rate, I mean, there's no questions about any of that. And, and that part of his game uh, allowed him to be, you know, certainly one of the standout forwards of the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. A uh, couple of 2023 first rounders there, Samuel Hanzik, Colby Barlow. Uh, they are two couple kind of power winger types. And yep. uh, that's always an interesting that that can maybe be a little bit of a mitigating factor when you're the young guy at a tournament like this. Uh, how did they look this weekend? Yeah, I mean, Hanzik, I liked a lot. The Flames were like two years younger <laughs> in terms of the average player age on their roster than the Edmonton Oilers and, and a year and a half uh, younger on average than the Canucks and Jets. So this was the youngest team at the tournament. Um, also the least experienced team at the tournament. Hansik played a, a pretty significant role for them, like was, was out there a lot. 
and he kept it pretty simple. You know, uh, I, I didn't see much flash. I didn't see much dash. There's not much flash or dash in his game anyway. But I, I thought he showed a lot of what you want to see based on who Hanzik is, right? Which is clearly he's imposing physically. He can definitely make simple plays to like recycle the puck uh, on the cycle. And he did that consistently. Um, his size, you know, the, the toughness, the Flames played like a pretty physical pair of games against the Jets prospects and the Oilers prospects late in the end tournament. And like him and William Stromgren um, were sort of two guys who seemed to be better the 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 messier the game got, the more yep. physical it got. Uh, so you, I think you like to see all of that, but I would say Hanzik looked to me far more like a project than a dark horse candidate to challenge to make the Flames roster this um, this fall. Which is you know no knock against him. It's just he, he didn't have that like oh this is something to watch if you're a Calgary Flames fan going into training camp. Don't be surprised if in two weeks. You know, Hanzik's the story. I, I think he's a, a ways away from that. Um, and, and where it's going to be interesting with him, too, is uh, new Vancouver Giants coach, uh, Manny Viveros, right? The former Henderson Golden Knights, or Silver Knights, excuse me, um, head coach, uh, has talked openly about experimenting with Hanzik at center. Uh, and I think the Flames are pretty on board with that. They they wanted him, I think, playing the wing at training camp just because that's where he's most comfortable. They want to they want him in a position to succeed. At least that's how Craig Conroy explained it to me. Uh, but Hanzik moving to center in the dub with sort of the Flames blessing is is very much a story to track on the Hanzik file. Yeah, that is at the, at the combine. I remember someone asked him, you know, what do you like better? And he he was pretty clear he likes the wing better. So whenever I hear that, it's like, okay, I mean, he, I'm sure he'll try it. He seems like a good kid. I'm sure he'll, he'll do whatever it takes. I don't know if he is aware of how much more valuable he becomes as a center, um, but certainly Calgary is. And, and that is why they're going to try that. Uh, I want to ask you about another guy who at various points we've had the center wing conversation about, and that's Brad Lambert, 2022 first round pick, uh, Winnipeg prospect. It's From what I was reading, it doesn't sound like he made – quite the impression you were hoping to see uh, in, in that year two tournament. Yeah. Although I will say with Brad Lambert, you know, he was there last year and he was the most exciting player on the ice. That's right. Um, yeah. And you know, for good and for bad. And I saw him in the dub last season and he was the most exciting player on the ice. And I saw him at this tournament. I guess, you know, <laughs> like I, 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 I barely noticed him, but yeah. I've seen Brad Lambert enough. To know that, you know, that's not a reflection of his game. You know, I just don't know that Brad Lambert felt like he had to impress at this tournament. I, I think this was perhaps a guy saving his reps because there was absolutely almost no relationship between the electric, you know, sometimes error prone guy I've seen in the past and what I saw this week. Uh, this, or this weekend in Penticton. So I, I honestly think I got nothing of evaluative value out of Brad Lambert whatsoever. And I will be 0% surprised if he's, you know, a, a, a shocking surprise for the Jets at training camp. I don't think this means anything for him. Uh, you know, the Jets, like neither Shevel Dayoff nor um, Rick Bonus were there. Yeah. And I think that's another key thing. Um, you know, not that they wouldn't get reports. Not that they wouldn't wait this tournament, but it's not like he had anyone to impress. Yeah. Actually present. And I think that was probably reflected in how he played. Well, the first thing that came to my mind when you said that is when you talk about him being the most electric player on the ice in both directions, is there any chance that this was a reflection of, of a change he's looking to make here? And that like, I, I need to, to, you know, be a little not. more measured in my decisions. I hope not. Because Brad <laughs> Lambert's super cool. I mean... No, I, I just honestly, I just don't think we saw him at full tilt. Yeah. Like that's that it's hard for me. And, you know, I don't know this or anything, but it's hard for me to conclude anything else based on the player I've seen in the past. Get me, you know, very much to the edge of my seat every time he touches the puck, uh, both at this tournament last year and in the dub last year uh, with that loaded team in Seattle. Um, and, and what I saw this weekend, it, like, yeah. I honestly, I, I honestly went stretches for getting you on the ice and that's not the Brad Lambert I've seen play live like 10 times previously. Yeah, that's great. Uh, anyone else you want to mention? I know you, you talked about Elias Salmonson earlier. He was a guy who was really good here in Plymouth, um, at the world junior summer showcase. I think he's probably going to be Sweden's number one defenseman at the world juniors this year. 
Uh, any him or anyone else you want to give a couple thoughts on before we let you go? No, I mean, you know, his size, like he's 6'2", but he's a really good skater. Uh, so, I, I mean, he was disruptive with that. I didn't see a lot of dynamic puck skills from him. Uh, pretty interesting that it feels like there's a generation of Swedish defenders coming out that that often sort of match that description. Like mm-hmm. really great skaters, uh, really interesting defenders, really assertive defenders, but, you know, not necessarily with that like Hampus Lindholm type skill level that we used to associate uh, with the defenders out of Sweden. It feels like there's a, a lot of Ekholm types um, coming out uh, of that of that nation at the moment, um, you know, with uh, with uh, Canucks first round pick in 2023, Tom Volander sort of fill, fitting that mold as well. Broberg. Um, yeah, Broberg, uh, you know, I, I mean, Edvinson probably has slightly better puck skills than that, but I think you could throw him in that bucket. And as an um, NHLer, I do think that's his game. His game yeah. can be as a stopper. Yeah, right. So, you know, there's been a there's been a it's been an interesting sort of, you know, change, I guess, or or trend that we've seen out of Sweden in, in recent years. And, and I think Solomonson um, fits within that, you know, in terms of other guys that like jumped out to me, one guy that a lot of scouts that I was chatting with kept pinpointing was Arshdeep Baines. Now Baines is also a little bit older, 22, but you know, he was at this tournament and played pretty well a year ago, um, but he didn't have the body. Like he had the brain to do really cool stuff. He'd led the WHL in scoring by like a fair bit uh, as an overager. Um, you know, he had this collection of spin passes and just like the, the mind for the game. He had um, a center's brain in a, in a, in a, on the wing. And that was evident last year. But now after a year of pro hockey, I, and you know, I, I can tell you internally, the Canucks love this kid for the work ethic, but like he's added at least half a step, right? His skating looks materially stronger um, he looks bigger. He's able to protect the puck and and do various sort of pro looking things that uh, that he just wasn't a year ago. Um, so his improvement, I think, really stood out to me. Right? There's a lot of guys who were at this tournament last year. I think about like Adam Klapka or Danila Klimovic. Um, you know, some some guys who sort of returned this season, and you know they they looked fine, but Arshdeep Baines looked materially different for what he's added to his sort of physical toolkit. And that to me becomes really interesting, especially because he's got a brain for the game. Um, One scout that I was chatting with an NHL scout uh, Eastern conference noted uh, a comp to me. And they said, seems a little bit like Brandon Hagel, which was interesting to me because yeah, Hagel was drafted, whereas Baines wasn't, but both signed, uh, you know, following breakouts in the WHL. Now, if he's, and, and both had sort of fine, but not great, rookie seasons in the AHL. Um, the, the, the thing with Hagel though, is like he was in the show, his second year pro, like he, and and he never left and he was productive. So that's a pretty high bar for Baines to get to, but the Canucks did scratch him that third game, which to me is always an interesting sign that maybe a guy's done enough. Yep. And, uh, you know, certainly with the, the work he's put in to, make his physical toolkit more pro level and how successful that experiment has been for him he becomes an interesting name that i'll definitely be watching when i go to victoria tomorrow uh to what to take in connects training awesome that is great stuff thomas trance everybody thank you so much for joining us today that is going to do it for us for this episode of the athletic hockey show prospect series you can follow us on youtube at youtube.com slash at the athletic hockey show and right now you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $1 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. For Corey and Scott and Thomas, we'll talk to you soon.